You're listening to Working File, a podcast about design and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we talk about the relationship between design and various means of production. And the requirement that all designers must learn to code. <sighs> <sighs> So yeah, welcome to Working File, episode five-ish, depending on how we number them. This is a design panel discussion podcast where a couple of designers talk to a couple other designers, and we talk about design stuff, and we try to do it in a good way, and not a bad way, and have interesting conversations that are actually compelling. Uh, I'm Andy, and uh, Matt, you're joining me as always from Philadelphia. Hello, Matt. Hi. Andy, that's a perfect description of the show. It is a design podcast about design stuff, design, design, design. Do you, well, have you, have you pinned down what we are exactly? Well, look, you know, you know, we've struggled in the past because you know how much I hate calling a thing a design thing. And, uh, you know, I figure maybe just try shooting the moon. If you call it, it a design thing enough, maybe it'll feel less gross to me. Look, I understand, Andy. You hate describing a thing accurately. That would, that would really put you in a box. It'd be terrible. When it involves me, yeah. I hate to think that I can be summed up so easily. I like to think I'm a deep ocean of possibilities and not so easily summarized. But You're an ocean and a snowflake. I hope you feel better about yourself. But we are joined by two important guests. Uh, I should say our topic for tonight uh, is the relationship between design and production. Uh, we're going to try and discuss that relationship across a couple different industries and in general. And we have two wonderful people here for this discussion. Uh, the first, you're both joining us from San Francisco, correct? Yes. Yes. Hello. From different rooms. From different rooms in San Francisco. <laughs> from across the world next to each other. We're like five blocks away from uh, each other. We are joined uh, by first uh, Linda Eliasson. Right? Is that how you say it? Eliasson? Yeah, that's one of the ways. Uh, yeah, there are Eliasson? a couple ways to is that, say it. Is that better? That's a nice way of saying Andy screwed up. Let's no, take that another no. time. Andy actually said it the right way, and it's just that most people say it the wrong way. So the wrong way has become the normal way, in a way. Mm. Okay, well, get ready, because I'm about to say your studio name the wrong way, too. Uh, Linda is an art director at Weno. Is that yeah, how it's pronounced? you said it. Not, not, not Ueno. It's not, it's not some... Ueno. It is Ueno. <laughs> the Oneaters. Some other, some other series of vowels. It's just vowels. You're a design art director at vowels. <laughs> yeah. So Welcome, bunch, Linda. Just a bunch of vowels and me. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and then also, finally, in a different room in San Francisco, uh, we are joined by the one and only John Gold. Uh, he's an interdisciplinary designer and engineer, and he's working on merging design, AI, and future tooling. But first, he needs to figure out how to work his computer in general, <laughs> Skype, Google Hangouts, basic microphones, uh, anything before he can get, get to all that fancy AI stuff. See, unfortunately, designer news has never really discussed whether designers should learn audio productions. So I kind of messed up there. But, you know, I think we're good now. Hopefully, I mean, we're going to find out in an hour when we hit when we hit you're, stop you're here recording. now. So we're going to find out if the audio is actually recorded. Uh, this will either be lost <laughs> to the ages or it'll be uh, episode five. We'll find out uh, when this thing is all said and done. We can just keep it blank whenever John speaks. If, if it's not recorded, just leave it. You can just put fart sounds in or be... something. There you cool. go. Or maybe you can like choose your favorite song and we'll just like cut away to your, your favorite song for some period of time. Whenever you're speaking. <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. That'd be good. You know, it's a, way to, it's a way to keep you involved, even though you've been cut out of the show by technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned tonight, uh, I want to discuss 
broadly the relationship between uh, design and production. Um, I want to start just by having everybody kind of talk about their own personal relationship between design and production. I will start with me so you have some time to think about your own personal relationship between design and production. Uh, I, I am a trained graphic designer. I have a degree in graphic design. Uh, that is what I would have to put on. That's what I probably have on LinkedIn right now if I were to check. Um, <laughs> not that I remember what that is. And so what that means to me is like I have uh, an understanding of color, form, typography, composition, hierarchy, all these you know fun words we use to describe design generally. And for most of my life, I've also produced the things that I have designed, which I didn't realize until actually like much later on, like when I was in college, that what I was doing my entire life was designing. I thought it was just like tinkering or, you know, making stuff. But really, I was designing things and I was implementing them in whatever fashion that was. Um, so, you know, I do occasional woodwork. Uh, I, I write CSS uh, at work. I wouldn't say I'm a full front end developer because JavaScript is still completely unintelligible to me for the most part. But I do, uh, you know, write CSS and HTML and build most of the sort of uh, front end of the websites we work on in that sense. Um, so for me, it's something that I've always done uh, is kind of done both the design and the production side of most of the things I'm involved in. But I will say that the most valuable things I've ever made have been in collaboration with people that possess production skills I myself did not possess. Uh, and that was some of the work that was most valuable to me. Um, so with that, uh, Matt, I'm going to make you go next. Uh, That's fair. You, design, production, where do you sit, man? I What's feel like deal? I've had this weird journey from uh like making stuff on the web and like making things like just making things that uh i can make on the web like well i'll learn enough programming to make the thing i want to make and that'll be the extent of the production to like getting an actual graphic design degree and learning how to do that uh to going and working in a traditional firm where i would do a little less web and a little more like design a book, design a, a poster or ad campaign that gets printed or design a 3D object. And now I'm much more back in the world of designing things for the web, but this time I'm not producing them because I'm actually a bad programmer. So I feel like <laughs> I've had a little bit of everything. I've programmed poorly. I've made things that other people have to physically make. And now I make things that other people have to dig digitally make. And fair to say you weren't also, uh, you know, printing enormous books and uh, doing the production when you were at your more traditional graphic design job, right? You were no. working with vendors and you were, you know, getting things made, but you weren't I've definitely printed them. and made a book myself poorly, but I would say my clients wouldn't prefer that. <laughs> Linda. Hey. Linda, what do you do? I don't do anything anymore. You, you sit in conference rooms and watch television on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Stranger Things is so good. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. I... <laughs> I was definitely always like the kid making the things. Uh, what you said resonated with me, Andy. Like, I remember uh, doing like arts and crafts with my grandma. Like, she'd be like, all right, take a bunch of trash bags and like cut it into pieces. And then we're going to take <laughs> and the put pieces. trash in them and take it out of the house. <laughs> 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 this is an elaborate trick to get you to take out the trash. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but we like would like tie these little. Um, like uh pieces of trash bags together to make like christmas wreaths like she would just have those types of crazy craft projects and like no matter how lame the project was i wanted to be the best at it you know like mm -hmm. i just like had to be the best in the class at like whatever projects that we made so it was always this like <clears throat> solo thing where i wanted to like draw cartoons and like just make stick houses out in the yard like whatever 
but it was never a collaborative process. So I think that like eventually I ended up going to design school just like you and learning all those things. And I think it was still kind of like the every man for herself or woman for herself uh, kind of feeling where it was like a little competitive and um, you don't really want to work with other people because you still kind of want to be the best at whatever you're doing. And yeah, so slowly over time, I've had to learn that like, oh, if you want to get really good work done, you have to kind of like work with people who are good at your weaknesses, you know? So yeah. So has this carried over into like your professional work now? Do you still like to be in charge of everything and not only design something, but make it or make a prototype of it? Or do you work now with vendors and programmers and printings and whatever to get things made yeah i've gotten really good at handing things over and just being like you (laughs) do this because i suck at it (laughs) and uh yeah it started at like mailchimp and working with the dev team there we worked really closely with the front end team and um also just like if we ever needed anything printed we would go to the printer and like watch them work and like approve of things and it was like really awesome um so then at like Dropbox, you know, you work with like a whole dev team a lot of the time. And uh, that was a big learning challenge for me. But I think it's all for the best. And yeah, now like I feel like I have a pretty good working relationship with a lot of people. It's really nice. It takes a lot of the stress off of you. So, John, uh, you, I know you pride yourself on being able to produce the things you design, at least when it comes to programming. Can you talk a little bit about? what your relationship is between these two kinds of sides of the practice? Yeah, I think it's, um, I feel like it's changed or it's evolving over the past couple of years. Um, Like the rest of you, I also did a graphic design degree. Um, And I think for a long time, I assumed that I would always, always be a graphic designer. You know, I I love doing print design. Um, That that stopped being the case, like somewhere around when I was graduating, I guess. Um, And I always coded in different capacities and i've been trying to piece together why that was and i think there's a couple of there's a couple of reasons there um part of it i think was like my way of dealing with imposter syndrome like i always coded more because i thought i was a bad designer and it was my way of kind of like masking it um it was also it was also (laughs) quite nice because as a self-taught developer i could also mask myself there as well i could be like oh i'm just a designer like you know it doesn't matter if my code's bad um so it was quite it was like uh, it was kind of self-preservation on both levels um and there are a couple of other reasons in there that maybe we can we can get into but over the past couple of years you know it's definitely evolved from a designer who writes some html and some css to a designer who definitely codes and thinks other designers should code to at the moment, like, I don't really like job titles, but I feel like right now I'm, like, very, very 50-50, like, software engineer, designer. I've started using the title software engineer occasionally recently, which is weird, because I definitely never thought I would feel comfortable <laughs> calling myself a software engineer. But life is weird, I guess. So so uh, that's actually a good transition, John, because the the place I want to start with this conversation is there is some subset of designers or Uh, people that do a lot of writing and tweeting about design uh, that would say that designers today uh, have to be involved in production. Specifically, they have to, if not know how to code the things they're designing, they need to understand how they're sort of put together. Um, And I think that argument is based in kind of two two assumptions. One assumption is that uh, the designer that is 
more prepared to be able to write some code, is more prepared for employment in the future, right? Uh, everything is going to be computers. We're going to live in Tron, you know, the matrix. So the more you program computers, just the better your job, your job prospects are. I mean, the other one, which is the one I'm more, more interested in, is the idea that uh, I've heard from a number of people that I, I respect significantly that being their belief that being closer to the thing that you are designing, understanding how it's made, uh, you know, understanding what goes into the actual production of it makes you better at designing it. Um, is that something you believe, John, uh, that, that like understanding how it's made, being involved in the production will make you better at doing your job when it comes to the design side of your, of your job? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that I'm pretty confident about. Um, I think you have to understand the materials that you're working with, you know. Um, I There are so many analogies that you could draw, but uh, I think, you know, an artist that doesn't understand, like, the materiality of oils versus canvases versus acrylics versus I'm really bad at art, so I'm going to stop with this analogy. I can't paint for shit. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, like, generally, I think you design better things when you understand the materiality of it. If you want to, like, add some show notes, I think the first thing we can throw in is... Um, is Johnny Ive did a fantastic talk at the Design Museum in London a couple of years ago, and it really, really resonated with me. He was talking about how the way that the, the way that things were designed at Apple in hardware design intensely reflected um, the materials they were using when they switched from um, you know that translucent, plasticky stuff to um, aluminum or aluminium, as we call it. Um, <laughs> It, it changed the way that they. Yeah, you have to. You have to say it the British way. We have, we have to have to go all ham on that. Aluminium. aluminium yeah, come on. Aluminium. aluminium. It's good. Aluminium. Oh, good. I didn't know what you were talking about. Before. This is a safe space. <laughs> Be as British as you want. When they, when they switched to aluminium, um, the way that they, you know, the, the form of the the form of the creations changed. They used different angles. They used different methods of cutting. They could have different tolerances. All these different things. Now that's kind of trite because it's you know it's metal versus javascript but to me like the metaphor really really works like i just feel like we do infinitely better work when we really really intensely understand the, the materiality of what we're working towards and you know that could be things as specific as like different rendering engines or different text layout engines you know the differences between the web and ios and android you know these are these are really like technical things but they also impact the fidelity of your work and like what you can achieve I wonder that all the time. How do you feel about this? Do you think the analogy really, really does work? Or do you think that's something we tell ourselves to feel better about being good at our jobs? Well, I've, I've invested 10 years or 15 years in learning to code. So, you know, I can't be completely unbiased there. Sorry, I cut off. Because <laughs> I feel that way very strongly about uh, working with actual materials. Like if we're talking about materiality and we're being literal about it, I think that makes a huge difference. And I always felt like, uh, like when I first started doing print design uh, professionally, um, I felt like I was fighting with it until I got a handle of what I can and can't do. And then I was kind of working with the medium to make something better as opposed to just like yelling at a printer being like, why can't we do this? Yeah. At first, Matt was like, can we just fold this wood? And, uh, you know, <laughs> turn. I can't think of something you can't do with metal. Metal is very Why fun. can't you just print that on gold? But yeah. I think that that's different because like in a physical medium like that, the constraints are pretty much set in stone. And like with technology, the constraints are changing right. so much like and so quickly. That's why I wonder because I feel very strongly that uh, my understanding, like my me being bad at coding helps me be good at designing for code. But I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's something I just tell myself because it's a really good real world analogy. <laughs> 
and I might also be as good as at designing as if I didn't uh, code poorly in the medium. Um, I'm not sure if it's true. Part of me wonders if it's just one of these things that the idea of it is so beautiful, you just want to believe it's true, right? Like the idea that somehow being close to the material and the actual like physicality of something and the production of it is going to make you better at it. But like the thing I always go back to is, I should say, I adhered to this idea strongly for a long time. And then one day I was kind of like, well, wait a minute. I know how to make websites. Like I've been writing HTML and CSS for 16 years and I know how to write Ruby and Rails a little bit. And like I, I can make my way around a project. Like I know how websites are made. I understand it. Uh, and I design websites. I also design iOS apps. And I don't know anything about how iOS apps are made, right? <laughs> like I know that you use Objective-C and Swift and there's this thing called Xcode and it breaks all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I don't understand anything about that. Like my, my depth of knowledge about that is so much lower. So if we're adhering to this idea that understanding of the means of production makes you that much better am i a terrible designer for uh ios apps but passable on the web guys this is that moment where we all tell andy's is terrible at ios Let, let's let's take let's take this ios as as you know as an example you understand like the relationship between i don't know ui navigation controllers and ui tab bar controllers and you understand the way that things fit together you understand the way the pieces fit together and you could say well that's just the paradigm that's not you know, that's that's not close to the metal, but I kind of think it is. You know, if you understand how a navigator, you know, layers scenes up or something, that, that kind of is it. Or if you're like, oh, we can use maps now and we can use geolocation because there is blah, blah, blah. That's kind of understanding the medium. You might not have to understand how, like, Objective-C allocates objects or I don't know. Um, but it's, it's understanding the SDKs. It's understanding, like, what tools are available. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. Like... I think people oftentimes confuse knowing how to do the production work with an understanding of the constraints in which you're working. And there are certainly situations where you would be helped by, you know, trying it out, right? Like, it'd be cool to have an architect go, like, on the field with some construction company and, like, you know, see what it's like to frame out a building, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's essential to doing that job well. I think you can understand the limitations and the constraints. And that is just how I think we should be defining design in all industries and especially on the web is like, you don't get to understand the web unless you understand these constraints. And that doesn't mean you have to be able to like, you know, rattle off a bunch of your favorite JavaScript libraries and, you know, sit down and like build a whole website. It just means that like, you have to kind of understand the language. No, I think it's just uh, important for people to understand that they don't have to do everything themselves. I like what you're saying about how uh, you should have like a basic knowledge for how this thing works. But, um, if you're not doing it regularly, like all the time, I just, I feel like it's really hard to stay up to date and to like have a really honed skill in coding. And so like, I would end up just using myself as a like pretty huge constraint, honestly, like when I'm figuring out what's possible for a project, I mm -hmm. just end up like not thinking as wide as I could if I'm working with an engineer who's like, Ooh, have you thought about this? And what about this? So Actually, I was going to ask a question almost the opposite of that. Do you ever find that because you know something and you know like one thing is easier to do than another, that you choose the easier path? And maybe there's no, like, maybe there's no reason that that easier path is the better path. Maybe it's worse, but you know it's easier to implement. So you think, well, let's just do this. And maybe if you didn't know, you'd be less constrained and you'd do a better, an objectively better job. Uh, because you're free of that constraint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that sometimes you need, like, designers and engineers need each other because 
I'll like pitch an idea to the engineer and you can kind of see their brain melt a little bit. They're like, really? We got to do like, uh. do we have to figure that out? <laughs> and you're like, come on, it'll be great. Please, please, please. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And then I think in the end, it, it makes for a better product. Yeah. But is that an argument for understanding less? I mean, I wouldn't say that anyone should ever understand less of anything, but I just think that you should put less pressure on yourself to do it all yourselves. Like, if you honestly just, like, want to be a designer, like, fucking go for it. Be an awesome designer. Don't worry so much about coding just to be able to, like, talk about it with people and sound like you know what you're talking about. I think that's, a, I think that's like, a pretty important thing to jump on, actually, and to stress that no one should feel compelled to have a certain skill set. I think this is one combination of skills that we're discussing, but there are, like, a zillion other combinations of skills out there. And, like, if you don't want to be a programmer, like, that is completely, completely fine, and it always will be. Um, yeah, and there'll be jobs for you, too, believe it or not. Exactly. It's, like, where's the argument about should designers illustrate? Like, I think that's a it's just a, super it, useful skill to have as a designer. And Absolutely. Know. It's just, But it's just a different discussion. I, I think I talk a lot about designers coding, but that's just because it's the discussion that I tend to be having. Yeah. A lot of the best designers I know don't write code. A lot of the best designers I know are incredible business people or illustrators and or photographers and or whatever else. It It's, it, you know, it's coming up with stuff that's um, exciting to you and stuff that gets you motivated to do good work. It's funny the argument we we never I feel like we never see the argument on Twitter like should designers learn to business but that would probably <laughs> yeah. be a much better skill to have than should designers learn to code but it doesn't come up because it's just not like you said John it's just not the conversation we're having also because learning to business is gross <laughs> um this came up the other day on Twitter actually um Kaylee Betts from DigitalOcean was asking about it she was like you know is it more beneficial for designers to learn to code or learn to business um <laughs> and opening that massive massive can of worms one i don't like wearing suits um two um t- yes like designers should learn anything but i think the reason that one of the reasons one of the many reasons that i like programming is it's like a feedback loop thing right say you could be like a good designer and a good developer or a good designer and a good business person your feedback loop is going to be shortened immensely by being a good designer and a good engineer and then collaborate, you know, having a good business person working with you versus what it would be like if you were a good designer and a good business person working with a good engineer. I think like business is useful, but it doesn't affect the design process as much as engineering does. Well, That's interesting. I don't know about that, interesting, John. I'm not I think sure. I disagree with you. <laughs> You ever heard of a budget, John? Like, especially depending <laughs> yeah. on what kind of designer you are. But, like, if you can negotiate the job the way you want it to from the beginning, I think that has a much greater effect on it than uh, how close you are. Like, and it's all degrees. It's, there's it, it's a matter involved, of, like, like, it's a matter of scale, right? Like, on yeah. the details of, like, how the thing actually comes out. Like, yes, absolutely, like, the tight loop between implementation and design or vision uh, yeah. is super important. But when it comes to, like, what is the thing? Does it get made at all? Uh, those questions are answered by business, for lack of a better word, which is just... Like, I feel like the design and code thing is like, ah, you can finesse the details. But the design and business thing, it's like, yeah. oh, well, we'll either build the system or even make a useful system at all. Exactly. Or not. It just won't happen. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this is why I said that, like, I very passionately don't think that everyone should code. Um, I yeah. think the people who find code interesting should code. People, like... I don't know, people should like learn about things that 
they like learning about. If people don't like learning and they like watching TV, like that, that's also fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> I really don't like business. Everything like, is no fine. Make it's me do solved. it. Don't make me do business. You know, I don't. Damn, I was hoping John would come in here gunslinging, talking about how people <laughs> that didn't write code were going to be dinosaurs. You're that dead. would be for such a more interesting podcast. But here he is, being all measured. Give us something real quotable, John. Oh, I can. I can so, so there's two, there's two ways. There's two ways we can do that. Either I can be like, oh my god, every designer should learn how to do React because you get to blah, blah, blah. or I could be like, actually, in ten years' time, I don't know if design tools will have code in them at all. I think it. It's a good, I think it's a good bridge layer for now to enable us to figure out what the future of design is. But I, yeah, some and React support. definitely won't exist in ten years either because you know, <laughs> no, technology. no, for sure. But I, I think I think a lot of like where we're evolving to with design tools these days is like actually designers won't have to code again in a couple of years' time if we do our job right today. I don't know. I just think that um, we need to work on our relationships. I think that the whole, like, should designers code thing, it's like, I think for some designers, yes, there might be people who are, like, trying to build their own portfolio site for the first time, or they're trying to, like, work in a small company, and, like, yeah, that'll be very beneficial to you. But if you're working with, like, a larger team, I think it's then more a question of, like, relationship building. Like, you need to have a really good relationship with the person building the thing you're designing. I think that's, like, a little bit more important to me. And, like, talking to those people at the start of a project and figuring out, like, what their constraints are and, like, trying to get their feedback often. Should it, should the question just be, uh, should designers be introverts or extroverts? Yeah. Is that, like... <laughs> like uh, unrelated. Or, unrelated. Doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. It's a matter well, of I mean, like, if, if you want to make everything skill. yourself and be able to do that without communicating with other people, well, then learning to code might be very valuable. But yeah. if you... If you like yeah, because you never have to people. talk to anybody else to code something. That's not how that works at all. I'm just, Except it guys, is. I think you may have just like completely psychoanalyzed me. Let me just like lie down on this couch. Like, a, <laughs> wow, that's uh, yeah. John, let's talk about your relationships. No, but I, I mean, I'm just saying that coming from why I like to to make things by myself completely sometimes is that I don't want to communicate. It's because everyone else is asleep, Matt, and you're the only one awake. And so, who are you going to work with? <laughs> Everyone yeah, else there is you go. Dumb. But sometimes I don't want to communicate with other people. Sometimes I like it a lot when it's a bigger project and it's it's you know it's the best way to get it done. But sometimes I just want to make a stupid little thing on my own. Yep. And the best part is not having to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's until you run out of time. That's usually why I do that. <laughs> and then you're an artist, Matt. Look at you. Um, no, yeah. And I, the thing that my personal experience with this has been that as somebody that I would say like my time is probably split actually almost perfectly in thirds between like doing design work, doing what I guess you could loosely call business work, right? Like taking meetings, writing proposals, talking to people about their ideas, uh, sales, whatever you want to call it. Um, And then a third, like doing software development, writing CSS and HTML for projects that are active. Um, My experience has been that I have definitely felt my design work become lazy in the sense that uh, I know what is very easy to build and I'm very likely to favor that over something that is more difficult to build in a way that I have to force myself to say, let's actually try a little harder on this because I know this would take 45 minutes and that's really appealing because it's probably <laughs> 85% as good as the best thing we'll ever come up with and it takes so little time. Uh, but I have to actually force myself to say like, no, let's keep pushing even though this is a totally satisfactory, efficient solution because efficiency is not always the best thing. Yeah. Uh, and I will. the other thing I'll say is that I don't think... Again, I, I'm from the most biased position ever, right? Like, I am me. I can't really tell in any sense of uh, objectivity what I'm actually doing. But it doesn't feel like uh, my design work has been as positively influenced by my awareness of how things are built. But I will say, my 
development work has been extremely positively influenced by understanding the design that I'm building. Uh, and a practical example of that is like, uh, if you hand off some, you know, still image of a website you designed to a developer and ask them to build it, uh, most of them will look at it and say, okay, great, uh, this is 35 pixels, this text is this big, this thing is this hex color. But if you're the person that designed it, you know that, yeah, sure, that's 35 pixels, but it's actually, you know, twice as big as this thing over here. And yeah, sure, that's this particular hex code, but it's actually a, you know, a mixture of these two other colors that are used elsewhere. And this, you know, the way these things break down, the way these elements behave is actually all a system. And when you're writing CSS, you can build that system instead of just building the result of it, which is why I think a lot of engineers that don't uh, understand the design process or haven't communicated with their design teams end up doing. And then the designer's like, oh, can we just change this one little simple thing? And the dev's like, no, but that's a million little changes because everything breaks when you break that little thing. And they didn't realize that the system was designed with some degree of variability in it. So take that with a grain of salt because... Uh, but that, that's my experience. I feel like my development work is better. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's completely valid. I think that is like a pretty decent analysis of why design and code aren't silos. Like we have these job titles right now, but they're kind of just like doing the design, de- making 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 the internet. You know, um, <laughs> it, if 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 you're finding that there are barriers between two people's job titles, well, you know, like maybe that barrier just shouldn't be there, and like you. There should just be like a new job called like Internet Maker. I think I used that for a while. That's a dumb name. Yeah. So let's get away from just the code thing. I don't want this to be the Should Designers Code podcast uh, because that's been already drawn out a little bit. About that. Um, Matt, I have a question for you, actually. Uh, yeah. I feel like amongst the four of us, you probably have had the most experience talking to architects, working on projects that are related to architecture. I know you did a lot of environmental like signage and stuff uh, at your previous job. Yep. Um, from what I've observed, uh, I'm always curious about the relationship between an architect and the uh, people that are actually going to build the building that is designed by the architect and how much that like engineering comes into play in architecture versus like we're going to come up with the vision, then the engineers will figure out how to make it actually stand and not blow over. Um, do you have any, in- recognizing that you are not an architect and have not you know, worked <laughs> in the industry, do you have any insight yeah. into that relationship? And the broader question is, what other like, examples of the relationship between design and production can we in our industry possibly learn from man well so i definitely haven't had i haven't been the architect as you said but i have i've seen some architects who just um clearly like make a form and then work with engineers to make that possible which i feel like is the kind of approach of i don't whether i understand the the uh constraints of the material or not i don't care i want to make a form and we're going to work as hard as we can to make that form possible. Yeah. And I think the famous example is like the Frank Gehry, like using you know software to make airplanes to make a building because like, well, AutoCAD just can't do that. I don't care if AutoCAD can't do that. We're going to find a way, another way to do it. So- um, and some engineers as, as, or some architects as engineers just like only make things that are structurally possible because that's their training. And then, you know, they can make beautiful things from that. But uh, I feel like they just won't, they wouldn't go outside of that constraint because it's like uh not part of their ethos. Linda, you were going to say something. I was just like, I, I know nothing about what you do. Um, so does, does the architect then have to just have like a basic understanding for how like physics and the universe works? Uh, or do you think that, <laughs> like how much does that come into play? Like, it seems like they must have to know something about what is structurally sound. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, it sounds like I you're think, saying that. I think that- absolutely they do, but I think there are some architects. Like, I, I think Frank Gehry is a great example of somebody who will definitely pick form first, create a sculpture, 
And then it's not like he's going to build something that will fall apart. Yeah. But he will work with engineers to make it possible. Yeah. And kind of ignore the constraints of current technology and maybe push forward and create new technology for that reason. But I think I think a lot of architects probably um, would see that as unreasonable and just go with, I'm going to build something that is both, you know, the thing I want to make and structurally sound and possible. And I think you're going to find most architects have a very sound understanding of construction and physics and <laughs> whether a building falls over. I just think that this is uh, something that doesn't get talked about very much or that I didn't really know about until I kind of got out here is just like how important internal tools teams are. And um, maybe you could speak mm-hmm. about that in uh, what it, that's like in architecture a little bit. Cause like, I know some people who work, you know, at Pixar and they're just, just creating internal tools for artists mm. to use. Well, I can't say I can I can't speak to that too much for architecture. Like the the thing I've done is like worked with architects to do graphics inside their buildings. Yeah. So the things the things I'm more worried about would be like often oftentimes you will work with a structural engineer or you'll work with a production team that is gonna do the engineering to build it. And you're worried about like will the sign fall off the building and kill somebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is bad. That makes it a bad sign design. Which, that's, a, that's always my number one concern. Like, there aren't that many things that a graphic designer can do to murder somebody, but that's one. <laughs> well. So that was one I took seriously. I don't do that so much. I don't do that at all anymore, really. But uh, that was the thing I did for a period of time or, you know, worked with other people who were better at it. And I learned a little bit of how to do that. And what's interesting to me about that is this kind of two different ways to think about what a design is. And one way is like, this is the flag post in the distance. This is the ideal. This is what we're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Now let's put all of our resources uh, to to the test to see if we can get as close to this. Like I think of like concept cars, right? You go to some auto show and they have these concept cars that look crazy and otherworldly. And then they get put through the normalization of like, well, actually aerodynamics, well, actually how these parts are made, well, actually mm-hmm. how much it costs to make a fender look like that. And they pop out looking like Camrys every time. <laughs> uh, so there's that idea of like, we're using this as like the meter, like this is, this is, the, this is the goal, it's ambitious, and we're going to try and use production as a means to produce this amazing thing that might have been designed almost in a vacuum, like without mm-hmm. an awareness of that. Like it's a goal, realizing we might have to change some things to make it actually happen, but the idea is that it's something in the distance versus the idea of like, we know what's possible. We're going to work within those constraints and we're going to figure out, uh, you know, practical, efficient, uh, beautiful as well uh, solutions that, you know, are part of that conversation, right? Like I, as the person designing this building would never draw something on a piece of paper or in a computer program that could not be built because I know it can be built and I'm going to be aware of those limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, this, this is where I got this idea that maybe, maybe knowing everything about the constraints of the material or, or about, construction or or just building um is that actually can be detrimental sometimes yeah because i've seen the most exciting stuff i've seen end up get built was an insane idea that like at the beginning started with a meeting with the production team going like this is crazy there's no way this can happen and then eventually working towards like oh okay here's how we're gonna make it work but it needed that crazy idea to start with in order for it to ever happen because if you just you said nope not gonna happen and then started with the one that we know works the wild thing's not, it's not going to get built. Yeah. And I, like it, it, that hurts my brain because I don't like thinking about design that way. I like thinking about design as like, you know your materials, you know what you're doing. It's a lot more comfortable. It is more comfortable, but... Is design supposed to be crazy? Or at least like digital product design, is it supposed to be like wild and innovative and like mind-blowing? Or is it just supposed to like be communicative and like let people get the job done efficiently there's so many products though how can you say like i think some things do need to be wild and mind-blowing because they are 
they're representing something different than like there are tools you know i think of it kind of like in the way i might think of like uh i'm trying to think of an analogy it's tough because i want people out there pushing the limits and yeah. trying to make things that are new and interesting but also i wish less people would st- would stop trying to push the limits and make things new and interesting and would just make things that everyone knows works because uh, sometimes i feel like every time i go to a website everything scrolls all wrong and wonky and i'm like <laughs> great super duper this is the worst i live in a weird internet hell i feel like we complain when people do like new and crazy things and we also complain when people put like gray rectangles and green rectangles together you know like that well yeah that's what i'm saying i'm being hypocritical in that i want people out there pushing the limits but then i see it sometimes and i'm like why did you push the limits we knew this thing already worked why didn't you do that so i have these <clears throat> this conflicting like battle inside of me there's another there's another like level of like pushing the limits that we haven't talked about yet. So we've talked about like designers or architects without a knowledge of the the form doing crazy wild things, right? And that's fair. You know, we see that in graphic design, especially we see that at agencies and stuff. And then we've talked about designers, architects knowing the material, producing. I don't know what you. How would you say like stale or sensible designs because they kind of know it's achievable and they don't push it. What about what? But what about technologically enabled designers producing crazy things that would never ever have been possible without the machines? And I'm thinking about AI in this sense. I'm thinking about. Did you see that industrial design thing the other? Um, maybe it was a couple of months ago where it was like a structural optimization thing where, you know, have it where the machine designed a crazy crazy 3D form that like a human would just never ever think of. And I'm thinking about like machine aided creativity being more exciting than human initiated or human driven creativity well that's the thing right there is a really important balance because anytime you get that like concept design for something that is not at all rooted in any sense of reality it's just fluff right like it's not even a thing like somebody draws like what if your phone was inside of your hand and it just (laughs) shot laser beams out and that's how you can make phone calls like cool super you're not being a visionary interesting designer you're just you know you're inventing things which you know, it's that's a valuable thing in its own right, but there's a certain there's a difference but, between like science fiction and like making things up and actually being somewhat aware of the limitations but pushing them. And to kind of yeah. bring it back to your original Johnny Ive reference, uh, I think you could make the argument that Apple is largely dictated by the materials, but I think you could also make the argument that it's ex- the exact opposite that they're like we have this paradigm shape, right? Steve Jobs was like, put my computer in my palm. And they were like, it can't be done. And he was like, I don't give a shit, do it. I'm a mean guy. Uh, and, you know, like, there's, there's all at once this somewhat reasonable, like, we have to actually build this thing, but also this willingness to say, we're going to try for something that may not be conventionally considered possible. And then that's that sweet spot where you do actually get to make unique and interesting work because you're not just dreaming of, you know, nonsense. I, I don't mean to sound so harsh on, you know, fiction, because fiction is valuable too, but not in this particular context, I would argue. Uh, there's a sweet spot there. I don't know how to, like, put boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was going to say, I generally I agree with, like, the frowning upon the nonsense concept idea that's just like, all right, you're just being novel. But I, I can't say I'm not fascinated about the idea of, like, using using something random to come up with a new idea or using using a computer... It's tap, trying to tap into something about the randomness a computer can generate that a human just couldn't. And like, what what do we call creativity? Is creativity connecting ideas, or is creativity seeing something totally brand new? And is, does it get even more exciting when you da- when uh, you let a computer do it too, or you can create a computer that can do it too? 
I think I I definitely subscribe to you know the everything is a remix theory. You know, creativity is combining two or more existing things into something new. Mm-hmm. Computers are pretty good at like combining lots and lots and lots of permutations of things. And I I got pretty cynical of like generative design or algorithmic design a couple of years ago when it was like this is a random design generator that just like splats circles on the screen you know everything's yeah, right. a fractal <laughs> like you know <laughs> welcome like, to fractal town. like if we can use like informed design tools to you know help us like augment our intellect rather than constrain us i think it's pretty interesting because the way i i think of like coming up with an idea is in some sense, it's very robotic. Like, I don't think coming up with an idea is walking through the park and just hoping uh, it pops in your head. I think it's doing it, like, 20 times, doing it 100 times, and then picking the best one. And that is very much like what uh, a computer can do. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm better than that because I have experience, but doing something many times and then pulling out the one sounds very robotic to me. And that's kind of how I like to do design work and come up with new ideas. Do you, all, do you guys also do the same thing, or is that just totally foreign? <laughs> I think there's a lot of repetitive stuff that we do day to day that we shouldn't need to do. I think there's a lot of like exciting things about design that get masked because we have lots of rote work to do. And I think, you know, at least, at least let's use, let's build better tools to enable designers to do more of the fun stuff. You know, whether or not that is writing code or not, I think there are like better tools that could be created to together. Yeah, and I think that design informs design a little too often. Like, I think a lot of times I'll see people get a project and they'll look to ways that it's been done before instead of looking to the thing that they're actually trying to make. And I don't know, I think it's something that we all need to challenge ourselves on a little bit more because it's easy to live in the dream world uh, where you're designing the iPhone in your hand. Um, But I think that there needs to be something between that and the annoying website that scrolls 19 different ways. It's like let's push <laughs> mm-hmm. or the boring website that's been done a million times like look i put a big image in the background and covered it with a semi-opaque black rectangle and put big white text over top <laughs> of it and everything's centered like yeah uh we've all seen that uh so here's what i i have a proposal i think maybe here's what it comes down to i always like to try and figure out like this is probably a situation where there is not obviously one way that is better to do it i I suspect that there's probably just a certain nature to the work that is made in either way right there's probably value to the we're gonna sit down we're gonna dream big we're gonna uh if we're not ignorant of limitations of production already we're going to free ourselves of them we're going to ignore them for now we're going to design uh in a way that is ambitious uh there's, there's value to that there's probably certain projects that are suited to that and there's probably a certain nature to that work in the same way there's probably a certain nature to the work that says all right well it's just we have a practical problem to solve. Let's sit down with the tools we know we have available to us. We know we have dominion over, and let's just make it happen. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention, uh, for those for listeners that aren't familiar, uh, this was tried very much in architecture. Uh, Samuel Mockby was the architect who ran something called the Rural Studio, which basically took architecture students that were in architecture programs uh, and put them into situations where they were designing and manufacturing and building uh, small buildings for people uh, in need. Uh, and we'll ignore the social whatever aspect of it, because that's not what I'm interested in at this point. What I'm interested in right now is the idea of the a big thesis of that program was you as an architect should be like, should touch the building, right? You should, you should be physically involved. You should be close to the material. Uh, and you look at those projects and uh, I don't know how successful long-term any of them are, how actually practical they are. I don't know if they leak, but you know, they're, they're beautiful. They're beautiful experiments in like, 
simple architecture that's made you know relatively easily. Um, and so I have to sort of just assume that there are projects that are suited to both of these approaches, and there's a time and a place for each. Uh, and so I'm just curious, like, what is what is that time and place? What is the context? Like, when should you not be ambitious and reinvent the wheel and ignore production? And when should you pay close attention to those well, things? Well, I think if you have a client and a budget and a time constraint, sometimes that's not the best time to <laughs> completely reinvent how the internet works. <laughs> <laughs> when is like make sure you're getting paid is number one I mean, once you got that once you got that paper then you can decide what you want yeah. to invent i agree with that so we're drawing this dichotomy between the things you do for play and the things you do when you know when the time is ticking you want to be as efficient as possible and have a good grasp of the technology when you're doing things on someone else's time but then i also feel like the projects that i've done that i'm the most happiest with is things that i've done on my own time when there is you know there is no budget and those are the things where I've like, you know, not quite reinvented the wheel, but, you know, gone somewhere to do that. And those are things where I've like coded stuff as well. Like, I think I'm more creative when I code rather than less. For me, I think um, the thing I always say in the office when we're talking about these things is I always say that you can justify a new design if we're talking about a new thing. If this is not a new thing. Don't try and make a new design for it. Uh, like if we're just making you know, uh, a contact form, like don't try and like reinvent the contact form probably. <laughs> uh, but if we're talking about an actually new thing, right? Like here is a unique aspect of whatever uh, entity we're designing for, we're trying to represent that is somewhat special, or at least we want to draw attention to, then yes, let's let the reins go a little bit. Let's maybe do something that takes a little more time to implement that's a little bit less aware of sort of limitations, because that's where energy should be focused. Uh, and, and that's, I guess, where my frustration comes from when I see somebody that's like, totally reinvented the like one page restaurant website where everyone just wants the hours and the stupid address uh it's like great cool glad you poured your totally reinventing juice into this problem and not something that maybe could have actually used to be totally reinvented now, i don't know if that's well, just what are you jaded. so frustrated about like what are you so frustrated about because where were they going to pour that like did you think they were going to get like maybe they're maybe the one job they got was the restaurant page and they tried to make the best Aww, goddamn restaurant page I like they could that. make. That's that so bad? I like that yeah. the guy that designed that restaurant page. <laughs> I feel this that way sometimes where like sometimes I'm working on something and I it needs to be efficient, it needs to be done in a certain period of time, it needs to be done on budget. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then I see something where there's an opportunity where I go, I could put I could go the extra mile, I could make something a little bit wild. I think that the client's gonna like it, or maybe I'm just making something for my, myself. Maybe it's a little bit silly to put this much time in, but I have an opportunity here. I do think there's a difference between like putting the extra time in, going the extra mile, and like being ambitious or experimental. Like you can go the extra mile and not reinvent something, right? You can just do a really extra good job of all the things that are the aspects of even a simple project. Uh, so I, I don't know how to draw you the can distinction. Be a professional and communicate with people and deliver things on time and manage expectations and like all these crazy things that you know you don't need to be like some virtuoso like <laughs> dude wearing a turtleneck in the corner you're the to... da vinci of web design yeah <laughs> lots of beautiful websites that don't fly even a little bit don't even bother trying to build those websites they don't fly um yeah and i don't i don't want to be that guy that's just like being salty about you know what the young kids are doing on the internet uh but there is something about i think to the idea of focusing your effort on the things that are deserving of being rethought uh and, and that's where i kind of draw the line for myself in my own work is like Am I going to spend a bunch of time, you know, trying to do this thing that's been done over and over again way differently? If I think it's working okay, probably not. Uh, but I am going to focus that time on trying to do something that maybe 
is unique or special in a different way. Um, but I think we should go to our final thoughts, last segment. What are we going to call this? Oh. Gosh, many better names for things. That's yeah. You've 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 wondered what we're going to call this for five episodes. So I think it's just going to be. Well, the, we, uh, I'll have to. This this is this is a job for me. I have to come up with a better name let's for this section. Call it dessert. Um. So uh, yeah. My my my, my sort of closing thing is just that I'm always interested in reading about or hearing about or learning about the process of other creative industries. Um, Because the same, you know, relationship between his vision and production, to use it more abstractly, exists in music. It exists in, you know, filmmaking. Like there's something you want to make and you've got some idea of it. You figure out some way to communicate to people. And then sometimes other people have to be the ones that make it. Um, And, you know, I'm not an expert in any of those things, but I always find some little nugget of like, truth or uh like universality when i'm listening to somebody talk about how they're working with whatever production studio to make something uh so i I always value kind of looking outside of whatever little bubble we're in to try and figure out what this relationship actually might mean on a bigger level um matt closing thoughts i i think my work has gotten better in a functional way as i've learned more (laughs) Matt's closing thoughts i think i'm i'm good (laughs) i think i'm fantastic i do a good job no i I just think like the concept of understanding leading to better, like a better final piece. I do think that's true in a functional way, but I, I always have to wonder if I'm doing the most interesting work I can by knowing that there's a better, like a more efficient way to implement something. And so I don't have an answer, but I, I'm going to continue to struggle with that of like, I think I can do a better job in a like business way if I understand better, but I don't know that that translates to a more interesting or groundbreaking design. I think that's a great point. And that like that's what gets selected for in consulting work, right? Like it doesn't I mean, really matter. Like, design just means art and business. So maybe I just defined it right there like, yeah, exactly, Matt. You're supposed to do good at business. That's what design is. But part of me sometimes just wants to make a weird thing and an interesting and a new thing, and I don't know that that's helping. <laughs> it's hard to do that in the consulting world. Yeah. John, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Any dessert? I've had several good conversations with architect friends recently. We are coming back to architecture here where they've been like, oh my God, like I've just been reading all these articles about UX and UI design and blah, 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 and medium. And like one, oh my God, your industry is so cool and open in its sharing of information. You know, I think architecture is a very uh, confined, very siloed thing where, you know, people keep their cards close to their chest. And the other thing they say to me after that is, it's so cool that you have this insane feedback loop where you can think of something and you can kind of build it that afternoon. Whereas they might be designing a bathroom unit for a skyscraper that will get built in 20 years time. And I think if anything, we should just be tending towards the strengths of our industry if people are looking out from industries we aspire to be and you know we you know, we're all like design nerds we love architecture and the architects are being like oh my god digital product design has these traits that we love <laughs> i'm just like dude let's just keep pushing for that as far as it goes because it seems like we're on to a good thing grass is always greener grass is green right here the uh my first job at a design studio was run by two architects that started a graphic design studio because they were like, we want to be able to design something and then print it out and put it on the wall and have it be done because that never happens in architecture. We never get to do that. And we just want some kind of like sense of conclusion to something in a reasonable <laughs> amount of time frame. That's awesome. So, there yeah. are things that I, that I designed as an intern in my very first job that I think are still not built. Wow. Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. That's sad. 
Linda, put that cherry on top. Uh, maybe I'm just like the sensitive one in the room. I don't know. But <laughs> I think that it's all about uh, people. I think that if you're interested in things, you should follow those interests and learn as much as you can about everything that you're excited about. But I also think you don't have to feel guilty or ashamed if like you're more into lettering or illustration or whatever than you are into coding. And I just think that as long as you like follow those things and like really pursue them, then that's great. But then if you are ignoring uh, learning how to code, then you need to develop a really good relationship with the person who is coding it. Like, even if you have to set up a list of guidelines and like, just talk to each other, like come out of your hole and, and talk to each other and figure out the best way to work with each other. And I, I don't know, I'm always surprised at the ideas that come up when you're like actually working with somebody else. It's always, I don't know, it makes me happy. It's always better. That's the thing. I feel like uh, at, at, at our company, design and project management are synonymous. We don't have project managers. It's just the designers because they're the only people that like are touching every piece of it. And so it's that, that communication is, I, I feel like that is design in so many ways. Like your job is to communicate what this thing should be. You can use words, you can draw pictures, you can use mock-ups and prototypes. It doesn't matter what you use, but your job is to communicate that totally. to all parties involved. And, like some developers are different than others. Some prefer it to be written out. Some prefer like a sketch file with like every tiny little thing written out. But yeah, just, just talk to the people. Linda and John, thank you for joining us from different rooms in San Francisco. Oh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having us. Um, what, what is each of your respective favorite social media platform where listeners can find you? Uh, Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Yeah, I am at little no no. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you choose a name and just stick with it for like nine years. We're gonna make a good compilation of all of the contributors saying their like internet handles and websites out loud. <laughs> we have you saying little no no. We have Meg saying her website is butts.guru. <laughs> all kinds of good stuff. And that is why I love that, Meg. When you bought that domain or you registered that name, you probably didn't think you'd be saying it out loud. But there it is. Um, little no no on Twitter. Linda's the best. Uh, John, where, where should people find you? I feel like my personal brand is also strongest on Twitter. So at John Gold, J-O-N. Personal brand. Can we talk for an hour about personal brand? Really strong last name, by the way, John. I feel like we, uh, (laughs) Andy. I feel like we rocked the uh, the the web domain thing as well. John Gold. Oh yeah, you probably have both have dot gold. uh, Yeah, dot golds, right? (laughs) I just got the uh, renewal notification. It's been one year since I bought uh, man dot gold, and I have done nothing. And it costs about seven thousand dollars a year, but it's so like one hundred and thirty dollars a year. But you know what? It's worth it. Except it's not worth it because I've done nothing with it yet. Who had the idea? There's another year to light a fire under my butt. Andy or John, who had the idea first? Me. Who copied who? Me. (laughs) I I don't remember. I mean, I. John probably did it first. So John probably remixed, registered it first. But it was just Andy remixing John's brilliant idea. This has been Working File. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, at Working File. Pretty easy to remember. This week, I'm going to issue a challenge to... I want everybody out there to go on Twitter and tweet at somebody and tell them what you thought about this show. Maybe it's me or Matt. Maybe it's a contributor. Maybe it's some random person that has never heard it before. Just say something to somebody about it. Prove your existence to us, please. Please.